Welcome back to the Effort of Everything podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kleep, and on today's episode, Gabe, MDV, and I are back for our weekly episode. We dive into something that's on our mind. Now, this week, we talk about BJJ. We talk about our Wendler's 531 cycle that we have at NC Fit. Actually, Gabe talks about one of his favorite ways to warm up, which I had never thought of. Definitely stay tuned for that one. And of course, we finish it off with this idea of the COVID fork. Now, find out more of that. Make sure you listen to the episode. Before we dive into it, just want to remind you about our friends over at Merrick Health, myself, our team, my wife. We've had our blood work taken. We've gotten it analyzed, and we see how can we either optimize or improve in certain areas. So if you've been on the fence, been thinking about getting your blood work done, you're not quite sure. I was that way for a really long time. I didn't want to go. It was kind of a pain in the butt. These guys do a really good job of white glove servicing it, making sure that you know what to expect, and optimizing and analyzing the blood work, I think the best that I have seen. So if you're interested in it, if you want to the same panel that we've all done, make sure to check out the link in the podcast show notes. And if you want 10% off, utilize the code EOE off your first panel. Now, without any further ado, I hope you and your family are just kicking ass. <laughs> Let's dive into a great episode with the team from NC Fit, Gabe Yanez and MDV. Let's go. I, was I, didn't know we were going, I didn't know we were going tanks. Well, I, was, I told MDV, I was like, hey, it's Tank Top Tuesday. He goes, bro, it's Friday. And I'm like, yeah, well, every day is Tank Top Tuesday. So I was just telling him I, I, um, I was doing some work earlier and I wanted to get in a quick like, little little something before our session. I, I like to get some movement in before we chat just to kind of like get the blood flowing and whatnot. And so I did a little ke- kettlebell complex. I'll have to share it later on online. I, I, I liked it. So I came right out of that. So it's Tank Top Tuesday and I'm fired up and ready to rock and roll. How you guys doing? I'm doing well. My little ring light just went out, but everything's okay. Otherwise, first, other first than that, problem. <laughs> yeah. Other than that, feeling good. You're feeling better, huh? You got sick, uh, what, like 10 days ago? Uh, I guess I got sick on Tuesday of last week, and now it's uh, Friday of the week following. So, yeah, a little bit over a, a week. Um, tested positive for COVID early Wednesday morning, and then spent a few days in a hotel room sweating it out and then uh been on the road to recovery ever since <clears throat> you say you got a little dizzy today huh so like you just got back into some workouts now yeah today was my my first day back into like i wouldn't say like i not my first day back like i've been moving every day that i was sick like i tried to go out for a walk uh did a little body weight stuff here or there but nothing getting my heart rate like too jacked up and when I came back home uh, over the weekend, I was definitely in the sauna and using that to sweat some stuff out and um, got on the bike the other day and just kind of pedaled through about five minutes worth of like intervals. But yeah, I de- definitely got a little dizzy today. I was doing some alternating lunges with 50 pound dumbbells and did about 24 reps, put them down. And I was like, oh, okay, I got to like crouch down and, you know, focus on not uh, <laughs> keep being too dizzy right now. Yeah. Hey, how much do you think the sauna, so Gabe, uh, MDV, Gabe and I were all in the same room at the same time. Now I have already had, um, probably the type of COVID I think that MDV had and Gabe got a little bit sick as well, but how much do you guys think the sauna played a role in like helping you guys recover? I'm just like out of curiosity. I know this is just our opinion, but I'm curious. I don't know, man. I mean, there's, there's so many factors and everything impacts people, you know, differently, but yeah, I mean, we spent. MDV got sick on, right, it was Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. And Tuesday, the three of us, plus our video guy, Ryan, were in the same room for what? 
eight hours, nine hours, like a small room, like speaking because we were filming content the yeah. entire time. The, the 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 joke is though that that me and MDV ended up sharing a fork, and that's probably what did it. That's definitely what Dude, got me sick. You know, that, what my favorite part about that yeah, whole situation you, was. That, that we were literally was... eating food and then and then uh i don't remember what didn't we even say something about like oh you're gonna get sick or something like that oh dude i don't remember I, it was just funny because like, <laughs> well, i wasn't a, feeling sick at all on tuesday no yeah, no we're, you're, we're all feeling great you're looking good buddy oh but it was so funny because we were we were hungry and we we're also like trying to get all right i know i was hungry we we're like trying to get lunch down we're trying to film all this content jason forgets to bring plates when he went to go get the food. So we're like trying to like scarf down this food. And MBB was like, yeah, like I, I, I use that fork. And I was like, I don't care. And I just use it to like put the food on. Did that have anything to do with it? I don't know. But it was funny because only the two of us got sick and we ended up sharing the fork. So that's that's how the story goes. The COVID fork. The well, COVID I, had, fork. I had never had COVID that I know of, you know, coming into two and a half or three years of the pandemic now. Um, I got, I had the vaccine. I got the vaccine, I think in like uh, November or October timeframe of what's 2022 now. So 2021. Um, yeah. I mean, I, for the most part, I was taking the normal precautions that they were asking people to take when you would go out and stuff like that. And, you know, I wasn't, you know, one of these people trying to be out there and, you know, you know, flipping the finger to everybody who was like, bucking the trend, but like, I wasn't living my life in a bubble either, you know, like we had shit that we had to do for work and life and stuff like that. And like I traveled cross country, I was traveling in planes pretty much nonstop throughout the entire pandemic. But the first flight that I took that I didn't have to wear my mask was I ended up getting sick. Who fucking knows like whether or not I got it from that or picked it up somewhere. But um, I had, I had a pretty strong, pretty strong case, I guess you could say. Dude. I said, hard. I, I've been flying a lot. Like I was just in Missouri and um, I don't know, man, like uh, I don't, maybe I'll, maybe every now and then I'll rock a mask on a plane. Maybe I won't. I, I didn't the last couple of trips, but now that I know that MDV got it or think maybe you got it on the plane, maybe I'll wear one. No Who knows? Know. Last couple of trips I haven't. So it's all good, man. I'm, I'm glad you're doing better. I'm glad you're at it. Um, we had a good time together. I'm looking forward to getting the crew back together because, um, you know, we were filming some really good coaching content for anyone that is, you know, a coach out there listening, we were filming some really, some really quality content that I think is going to add value and, and really support the, the ecosystem. And so I'm looking forward to getting you guys back out so we can restart that up and just start from scratch, just do it over again. And, and it'll be even better this time. I know it will. Yeah. Hopefully no, no interruptions for, for sickness. Wasn't an ideal time to get sick, but it happens. It is what it is. And uh, it's never an ideal time. Dude. Yeah, it always sucks. It always sucks. What I will say is that, like, <clears throat> you know, this this wasn't the worst that I've ever been sick. Um, it certainly wasn't just a walk in the park either. You know, I had all I had every classic symptom. I had the night sweats. I probably had a fever for a couple of days. I had a cough. Uh, I had chest congestion. You know, general body aches. When I came back to uh, where I lived. I lost my taste and smell for a couple of days. That came back really fast for me, though. Did you just back... eat chicken breast and, and broccoli for like three days straight because you couldn't taste anything? No, 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 <laughs> no. It was funny. It was like I was I was like on the uptick of feeling better. And um, Mindy was like, do you want to order pizza then? I was like, yeah, well, like whatever. Fuck it. Like, let's order pizza. You know, I was just getting over being sick. Like, probably didn't eat enough calories for the past X number of days anyway. And um, I was eating the pizza and I was like, 
this pizza doesn't really taste like anything. And like we've gotten from this spot before and it's really good. And I didn't really think anything of it, but the next day I woke up and I was having a, you know, a cup of tea or something and I couldn't taste anything. And uh, it had completely gone away. That was a little alarming for the two days that it was completely gone. That was definitely like the worst part of it for me because, you know, it took the joy out of eating and drinking anything. Like it was completely devoid. Couldn't smell anything. You'd put like a eucalyptus oil up to my nose or peppermint oil. Couldn't smell it at all. Um, but the more alarming thing was when I was breathing, you couldn't, you can't smell the air. So like <laughs> I was already having a little trouble breathing because of being sick. But then like you're sitting there breathing and you're not really tasting anything that's coming in. So that was a weird kind of change that uh, it kind of felt like your breaths were even shorter. <clears throat> Dude. Well, I'm glad you're doing better, man. I, uh, I'm really, really happy. Now, when are you going, when, when are you getting back on the mats? Like in a week or two? No, I, I mean, I haven't been sick, sick in since like Thursday or Friday, like of last week, maybe a little bit more than that, maybe like Saturday or Sunday or whatever. But, um, I, I probably haven't been contagious since after like day two or day three of having it, you know? So, um, I might go this weekend and check it out. Like I, I probably am still testing positive on the antibody test. Uh, I haven't tested again since, um, you know, a few days ago, but depends on how I feel. We'll yeah, see. for sure, man. For sure. I had the opportunity, you know, I was out, um, I was traveling in Missouri and I had a chance to go experience like a really well run, uh, jujitsu class. Like really, yeah, I saw you went to a uh, Kokoro. Yeah. And that's yeah. Steve's, um, so he's a, I don't know if he's a flow master or if he's, I think he might be a flow master yeah. on the CrossFit certification staff and seminar staff. And man, he ran a phenomenal class and it really opened my mind or it didn't open my mind, but it reaffirmed what I had already thought that there is a way to, to run a class better than, than, than others. And he did a great example of that. He started on time. He did all the key points that we like to talk about when it comes to coaching. I thought he executed it really, really well, bridging the gap between like movement and getting sweaty for people. And then also like, um, learning technique. It was like this really nice blend I had never seen before. So it was cool. How long, how long was the class it was an hour or 90 minutes? It was an hour. So it was an hour long class and the way they structured this. And this is, uh, it's interesting. So most jujitsu classes, we talk about jujitsu a lot, but most jujitsu classes, you're off the warm up, you get into some type of movement. Let's just say it's the arm bar. And at the end you do like rounds. That's like a typical class. His class was completely different. His class was basic warm up, then like pummeling drills with a partner. So it was like dynamic warm up drills with a partner from pummeling to then pummeling into a single leg. So pummeling is really just like two people chest to chest, kind of like putting their arms underneath each other for lack of a better term. So that was like very dynamic, but it was a nice way to introduce people to this idea of like touching, right? As an example, then from there, um, we started working positional strength. So it was from a mount position. So what a mount is when someone lays on the ground, the other person has their knees and they're basically, they're, they're, they're sitting on the person in other words, and we worked, um, defense. So I'd never done this before MDV, but it was two minutes, top person, two minutes, bottom person back and forth. One person, all they're trying to do is not allow the other person to submit them. And the other person is just trying to submit them. But even if like, so the other person on the bottom can't like get back into a psych, like can't take them to side control or half guard. It has to literally just be standing there defending, never, never trying to improve their position, but it's defending, which I found to be pretty cool. Yeah. Situational rounds like that are, are awesome ways to train. I, I really, I really enjoy those <clears throat> types of situations. 
Um, we do that quite a bit at 10th Planet Portland. But you're, uh, I wanted to look up the gentleman's name. It's Steve Haydock. He runs Kokoro Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, he is a flow master. He's also a fourth degree level black belt. Um, yeah, so he's a, he's a talented guy, a talented practitioner for sure. But what I thought was interesting, so we transitioned from positional to then the same positional, but now like um, developing skills through like, like then he taught something and then we in, in, incorporated it into the positional. Then he taught an elevated version in the same positional, but the whole time we were doing rounds back and forth. So like you got a lot of movement in while learning, which is something different. And, and, and then at the end, we did like some basic sparring for a very short period of time, like on a 10 minute running clock from that position. But what I thought was unique was teaching and positions with like more movement versus like teach with the person being very submissive. So anyways, I, I, you kind of had to be there, but I thought you did a really good job. So a shout out to them and then shout out to all the people out there trying to enhance the, the jiu-jitsu and, and CrossFit and functional training space. One of the things that's interesting about um, jiu-jitsu classes that I, <clears throat> I don't know if you've experienced this, Jason, is that, you know, coming up through functional training and, and CrossFit, we teach a lot of more complex movements with step-by-step -step progressions, right? Like you'll show the full movement, you'll highlight a focus that you want to have for the movement, but then you break down the movement to constituent parts, let's say three to five pieces. And then at the end, you have the full movement kind of come back together. I haven't experienced that yet in jujitsu where you will see a movement broken down into its constituent parts and practice in stages. And then the full movement comes back to life at the end of the progression. A lot of it is introducing the movement as a whole and then drilling the movement as a whole with all of these steps kind of being thrown at you at one time, <clears throat> which I mean, there's definitely validity through to putting people through that type of full movement training, but also, you know, it, it's much more easier if you're a novice at this stuff to learn something new in stages and then kind of build upon the stages as you go. Yeah. For sure. You know who we're getting into jiu-jitsu is uh, Coop from Garage Gym Reviews. He's going to go ahead and start off with uh, privates with Steve. So I'm excited to hear how that goes. He He's looking to kind of like switch it up and try it out. So Very cool. We got to get this guy into jiu-jitsu now. We got to get hey, Gabe. Gabe you're, Gabe, you're next, bro. Blend a little bit of NC Flex, a little NCX, a little bit of that BJJ life, and you're good to go. Dude, I, I looked into it after I took the Sheepdog course. It's just nothing convenient enough. I need right now it to work it would need to be something that's like a 10 minute drive from my house that's it mm -hmm. and there's nothing 10 minutes from my yeah house. there's nothing there's a, 10 minutes there's, there's, a, there's a dollar general so we've got we've got ways ways to go until that happens again. you can't go to dollar general and scrap with the employees <laughs> just bring dude, some mats lay them down dude you probably could but it's not gonna end well dude you gotta <laughs> no, drive in austin uh i probably finished not. tim kennedy's book on the plane and then i started that book traction by the way so uh, we'll, we'll talk about traction is definitely more of like a business focused book. Um, but Tim Kennedy's book was super interesting. Um, it'll be coming out here pretty soon. It's, it's long though. It's like three, 400 pages, but it was, had a lot of really, really intense stories for anybody who's interested in that type of thing. Scars and stripes, right? Yeah. Yeah. He did. I mean, the, the background of him is just really interesting with like the way he grew up, you know, his dad was an underco undercover narcotics agent, like, that's, that's, that in itself is an interesting way to get raised. And then, you know, what I found was really interesting is that um, when he was 18, he, he first started out as an EMT. So he, he started fighting. So he was, he was very talented in fighting because he got introduced to it at a young age and he started training with like Chuck Liddell and all these guys in San Luis Obispo. So when you look at his background, it almost like matches up really well. 
your dad was an undercover narcotics agent. So you're exposed to like different types of things. Then he brought you into the pit or into the San Luis Obispo at the time. That was like the MMA kind of like go to. And then he grew up with those guys. Then he got into EMT, became an EMT, then became a firefighter and then became a police officer. And so his stories back there were pretty, pretty interesting until he found um, the army. So for those of you who want to go check it out, Tim's Kennedy has a really interesting story um, and uh, a lot of diverse, a lot of diverse experiences in his life. Yeah, he's definitely one of the most interesting people in the world right now. I mean, just based on everything that he's done and, uh, you know, he's got a, a lot of experience and what he's able to continue to do for, you know, the United States Army. I'm looking forward to reading that book. Um did you get you guys see that Dave Chappelle got uh, attacked Tackle? on stage? Uh, or yeah, well, the the gentleman who is probably unhinged from his own version of reality jumped on stage and tried to tackle Dave Chappelle at the the Hollywood Bowl. Um, and then <laughs> this is not it's not funny, but like the picture of the guy who's in the gurney. Oh he, my god, he's you pretty see, like, angled. His arm is like yeah, his, his arm is pretty fucked up, dude. Well, you know, what I thought was interesting is that I saw somewhere that he didn't get charges pressed on him or something like that no it's, which is really really interesting they're not pressing felony charges against him even though it was like a really public assault um I, i'm not sure what's going on but that's uh that's la county for you I dude guess. that's la county for you man i can't believe that happened though i have to go watch the video i haven't even watched the video i just saw the person's arm and i was like oh boy that guy got that guy got lit up <laughs> play stupid games you're gonna win stupid prizes that's it. That's it. Um, dude, we have a, uh, what was I going to say? So we have the Wendler 531 um, just started last week from a, from a setup um, testing for one RMs, I think was occurring, but I love the Wendler system. I know we incorporated that for the Metcon class. I'm looking forward to seeing how people who are utilizing our app or in our gyms see results from it because Wendler system um for those that don't know, I mean, MDV, if you want to dive into it briefly, but I think if you're looking for a strength program, I'm glad we chose this one for Metcon. I think it works really well. Yeah. I mean, Wendler's tried and true, man. It's progressive volume over the course of, or sorry, I should say progressive loading over the course of a period of weeks where you start off with one by five, one by five, one by five at different percentages. And then you have the next week you do one by three, one by three, one by three at a little bit higher percentages. And then you go one by five, one by three, one by one <clears throat> in the final week. And then you can repeat as you would like with that same idea. But, you know, generally, Wendler, what you're doing is you test your rep max prior. And then the way that Jim Wendler set this up is that there's a training max that he wants you to use against the percentages that he has. And it's a sub max program. So there's there's some controversy about this because when you test your 1RM, let's just say for ease of the math here, you get a hundred pounds on your strict press. We'll talk about, okay. That's your one rep max strict press on hundred pounds. Now, Wendler will ask you to use 90% of that. Sometimes 85%, you can use 90, you can use 80% as your training max, but it's below your one RM. And then you apply that to the different percentages that he's laid out for the work over the course of those number of weeks going forward. So you're always working over a bit smaller of your training max total with this lower number. I know it's a little confusing even saying it out loud, but I think the ultimate goal of it is to get people to work with sub max weight and to have them actually feel over the course of weeks 
what it's like to work a little bit lighter, start off with a little bit higher volume, bring the percentages up to the threes, come up with the five, three, one as the last thing that you do, and then rinse, wash, and repeat. Yeah, what I like about it is the, the last set. So I gotta I gotta jump on it, right? I like that last set. It's just like if I I haven't done it in, in a couple of years, but that last set, like that three, three, three plus, you know, like the the five the, the plus one is the one that's really interesting because you think you're only gonna get like four reps, you might end up getting like seven. Now, if you get like 20, you might have gone too light. But for anybody who's looking for a strength program, I like Windler because it's like pretty fast and to the point, you know, but it gets you that time under tension that you need to get stronger. Yeah, it's, it definitely fits beautifully into like a GPP style program as well, because <clears throat> there's not a lot of bells and whistles. It's not a, a tremendous amount of training volume in addition to what you're doing when you're talking about other programs out there, like, you know, a small off squat cycle, which is just complete treachery on your legs for whatever it is, 10 weeks. Um, yeah, Wendler really uh, is very, very efficient. How much, how much of, uh, of that program did you do back in the day, Jay? Was that your go-to? Yeah. Oh, I, I did a lot. I, uh, dude, I did that program a few times. I liked it because it was just like consistency, right? So anyways, I, I used to do the Windler program quite often. And uh, dude, when you hit those last final sets, it just like makes you want to cry. But you'd have to really mentally prepare yourself, right? Especially if you've been doing it for weeks and weeks and weeks. You know it's coming. And you know what, what to prepare for. And when you get to those like later weeks, um, you know, I would throw on the belt, the knee sleeves, anything I could possibly yeah. do. Like I would, I never sniffed Epsom salt or not Epsom salt, but uh, Epsom salt. salt. I yes. never sniffed that, that stuff, but I would just mentally prepare myself. You know, you throw on the, the, the hip hop, you put in the right state of mind and you get after it. So um, I used to do it quite often because I found it to be a really effective strength training cycle for me. From your pinnacle of fitness, whatever year that was for you, where do you think you are right now relative to your fittest functional training version of Jason? It's hard to say because obviously you have more talent now in jujitsu and like you could make an arguable, you can make an argument that you're more, even more capable now than you were ever before, but let's fuck all that. Let's not, let's not talk about that. Let's just talk about you today compared to you at peak performance of the games. Whew. Uh, I mean, my, my one RM numbers are less, that's for sure. Right. Um, but I think my overall athleticism has gone up. Um, and like not even skill specific to jujitsu, uh, MDV jujitsu. And because I work my body in a more dynamic way has made me feel more athletic. Like I have felt myself get more athletic over the last six years because I'm now having to react to a competitor and my, my body is moving before my brain even calculates. And one thing, if I go back to camp Pendleton, years and years ago, it's like 2012. One of the events was a, um, was an obstacle course. And I remember watching some of these like really athletic people, like Froning was athletic. There was other people that were like really athletic and you'd watch them hit it. And they'd be like, their body would be moving before their, their mind even caught up. They were just very like, like a cat, you know, very athletic. And I didn't have that set of skills. Um, I was more like a kind of blunt instrument and not as dynamic. I think jujitsu because of the dynamicness of it, has taught my body and opened up new kind of lanes that have made me more athletic. But my one RMs and my overall like, like capacity has definitely dropped down. I wish I had incorporated more training like this back when I was competing professionally in CrossFit. I think it would have really helped me. You think that, that this is interesting. So you think that incorporating 
more general athleticism training would have would have helped you in the the course of the CrossFit Games? Well, it's I mean it's, it's kind of the the CrossFit Games is actually a, a test of general athleticism if you if you kind of really peel back the layers. That's what it's become because they're asking you to now, especially in the more modern versions, they're asking you to do things that are competitively athletic in all regards. It's not just a test of CrossFit and weightlifting. That's for damn sure. So yeah, yeah I mean, that, I yeah, think that, that at the sense. time, like, I mean, okay, I'll give you a great example, dude. It was embarrassing when I did the softball toss throw, like it, yeah, it was, it was, was literally embarrassing. Bad. And, you know, I think about that a lot because my son can out throw me right now and I've gotten much, much better because I play catch with him a lot. So my throw, I almost wish I could redo that event because I think I'd get like double the distance. But that was a really good example. I didn't grow up playing ball sports like that. And I could not throw a baseball at all. And so as soon as I got out of this lane of like, you know, like CrossFit, as soon as I got out of that with like more athletic type stuff, like, um, you know, zigzag sprint, like uh, an obstacle course, like throwing a ball, I, I didn't perform well. Had I been exposed to more athletic endeavors and like been more open to like actively go out and play more sports, I think I would have performed better overall. And I, and I think everyone should, should have that in mind. Like, you know, like we talk about a lot, I was, I was trying to get better at fitness just to get better at fitness. But I think what I should have done is start in, incorporating more other things. Um, and it would have helped me overall, but Hey, at the time we were doing what we thought was right. And my performance was good. So I kept doing it. Yeah. I mean, it also is like, that would be an extremely hard call to make in the moment too, because you were so gifted at certain aspects of the sport. You had an unbelievable work capacity, like your ability to put in effort over the field was really one of the things that I think helped you as a competitor, you know, in that landscape, you definitely weren't the most like sound technical athlete in, <laughs> in any regard. I don't think that's shocking to you, but like you were able to really just like grind it out harder and longer than than almost anybody out there I, the fucking marathon the 2k into the marathon row is like the the hundred percent example of that like where you were not the most technically sound rower there but you won the 2k and then you won the the rest of the row after that like yeah. that's fucking crazy to win both aspects of that event yeah um, <laughs> you know i don't know man i just i like now like i i got done doing a ruck earlier this morning I was doing a ruck, trying to, you know, just be more dynamic in my training, get more, um, you know, variety and, uh, you know, follow along with our strength conditioning from NCX has been really, really helpful for me. It's something I could do for the rest of my life for sure. Do you remember what the winning 2K road time was in that event? What, what you got? Six, six and change. Like, I don't know, probably low sixes, like 615. I, I don't know. I'd have to look, but it was, it was low. It was, it was pretty low. I went out with the intention of, I need to perform well in the 2K but I wasn't trying to win. I just, I just, well, you know, what was tough about the 2k and this is what no one really talked about is that there was no indicator that the 2k was over. So what happened was I went out and I was just grinding it. And I looked at on your screen. It didn't tell you how many meters it did tell you how many meters you had left. But the problem was it was, it was like thousands and thousands of meters. And so you're trying to do math in your head of the 2k. And I don't know why I got all flustered. I couldn't like I started playing tricks in my head about where the 2K was. So I just kept rowing as hard as I could for within reason till minute seven. Because I knew that at minute seven, I had to have completed 2,000 meters. <laughs> because the meters were counting down, not up. So it was hard yeah, yeah. to like, 
And you know, like when you're in the middle of a workout, you're kind of like, uh, like you can't even do five plus five, you know? So it was like that. Anyways. That's a really challenging test because like you could, you theoretically could try to win the 2K and then just be destroyed for a period of time in which everybody else is, you know, putting money into the bank meters wise. And at some point you'll recover because the row is long enough, but that's, that's really impressive to be able to win, to win both. I thought they did a good job programming that because it made you have to think as an athlete, like, okay, if I go out way too hot or do I just go in like middle of the field, but each one of those was scored as an individual event. So it wasn't like it was half event or anything like that. It was a full event. So if you like, just like chilled on the first one, I mean, dude, you're, you're that is not good. So you, you kind of had to go and then it taught you, Hey, who could go and then recover. So yeah, man, shout out to Chris Hinshaw for giving me some great advice on that one. You know, I had some like, I don't know if it was like Snickers bars or goo or whatever the hell I had, but that was, that was a good event. That was a fun event. I'm glad I did that one. Do you have, do you remember any events where you were just like, okay, that event, not that the event sucked because it was such a hard test, but like the event was just like a dud for you or just like, dude, that wasn't even fun. Like what the heck was the point of that? Do you remember any events that were just like so completely off that you and the rest of the field were like, eh, whatever on to the next. Um, I mean, dude, I think it's the ones you don't perform at well. So like there was this monkey bar one where you had to like ride this bike, go across these monkey bars, do something and then monkey bar back. And I just, I wasn't able to get the flow of the monkey bar as well. And so I didn't perform well. I was just thinking like, yeah, it's kind of goofy, whatever. But in hindsight, if I had won that event, I would have loved it. So, you know, I think that, you know, or, or like, for example, like the, the spike event, this is like back in 2009, there was this event oh. we had a road, and then nailed this spike into the ground. And at the time, like, I was like, okay, whatever. Like, this is kind of cool. It's different. But what was happening is as soon as we started different people's like dirt was different. So some people hit one time and their spike went all the way into the ground. Other people was like going through hard concrete. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I don't know if this is the best event, but then all of a sudden my, uh, my spike went all the way in after I hit it, like after <laughs> a little bit, I was like, Oh, this is the greatest event ever. I got back on the rower. So it just depends, you know, like anyways, that's, I think you know, Nicole Gordon was the woman who smashed her finger. Oh my gosh. During that event. Like, yeah, somehow. And Nicole Gordon's a flow master on, or she was a flow master on CrossFit seminar staff. I don't know if she still is, but somehow she was, she holding the stake probably with one hand yeah, and then slamming it with the hammer in the other and smashed her finger on top of the uh, big stake. Some of the other events, um, you know, that are tough are the ones where you feel like the judging is really difficult to judge. So like there was this one year where basically you took a sledgehammer and you hit this, like you hit like this, um, metal, metal thing across like a track. And in theory, I thought it was a really cool event, right? Double unders, you hit this thing, but the rule was you have to hit it and not hold it. Right. So what, like if you hit it and then you hit it again versus hit it and then like basically keep the hammer on it and then keep dragging it. But it was really difficult to judge because like what constitutes a hit and hold versus like a hit. So events like that, that I think have come up over the years where they're, they're a little bit difficult to judge and you feel like the playing field isn't as easy. Those ones are tough. I think those ones where you look at you like, eh, you know, versus ones that are a little bit more straightforward. Well, they, they did two variations of that event. They did a variation of that event where the athlete was standing on the ground, side swinging the hammer, right? Like, and mm-hmm. that I think that was in Carson in the tennis stadium. Cause I, I remember Annie Thor's daughter and Julie Fouché both doing that event. But then there was another event that they did in Madison one year 
where you stood on two rails and then you had to hit the thing between your legs. And this was the one where Dave called out Noah Olson afterwards because Noah was hooking the hammer on the, um, like the side essentially of, of the slide and then kind of pulling it through his leg. So he would hit it once, like you're saying, and the hammer would stick and then there was a pull and then release and then hit, hit again. It's very interesting. But I mean, he hacked, hacked the event, but he didn't get DQ'd be- because of it. He just got called out. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. That's where it gets a little bit tough from a judging perspective, you know? Um, you know, I, 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 uh, I was at garage gym reviews on, what was it? Um, yesterday. And man, it was like a playground. You guys, you guys have to go out there with me. They have every piece of training equipment you could think of, especially like the new technology ones. So they have all like the, the Pelotons of this to that. They have like a whole area. Then they have every stationary bike you could think of and air bike. Then you have every single pull-up bar, every squat rack, every. And so it was, it was cool because you can compare, like he had adjustable dumbbells. He had like 20 pairs of them set up. So you could like compare the different types. I, I enjoyed my time at Garage Gym Reviews. If no one's ever heard of them, they do a good job reviewing equipment and uh, they treated me really well. We created some cool content together. So just wanted to say, you guys got to come out with me next time we go. That's got to be He's got to have a garage sale at some point. Go ahead, Gabe. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say that thing's the ideal playground. There's got to be well, so much stuff out there that like you wouldn't even imagine there's that many versions of. So here's an interesting thing. So MDV says you got to have a garage sale. I agree. I go there. I'm like, bro, why don't you just like either get rid of it, sell it. And if you can't sell it because the people gave it to you, I get it. Then just give it away. The problem is, is that, um, and, and I actually give a coop a lot of credit on this he wants to be able to compare and contrast previous versions. So he keeps all of them. So he had all the nanos. He had all, like he was comparing the new nano, whatever it is, to the original nanos or nano twos. He was comparing, you know, a rogue rack from today or a rogue bar from today to, you know, X years ago. So he keeps all of them so he could do videos and, and, and compare and contrast. So he ends up having to like have these big storage units because he can't keep it all in the same place. So, but that, that's a cool way to think about it because he holds on to it so that sometimes some of this equipment isn't even available anymore and he's able to still have it. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. I I, I was impressed though with um, the desire at Garage Gym Reviews to put out like unbiased content about like what they like and what they don't like with the intention that they know that if their audience picks up that they're like biased in any way, that they're not going to take them as seriously. So they take that really seriously where they're just putting out information and people can do what they, what they want. Credibility, credibility is, is everything, right? Yeah. We did a podcast on um, garage gyms and kind of how to set it up and some things. He thought a barbell was the first thing that you should buy over a set of dumbbells. And I thought, the one thing he said that I hadn't thought about is that one is that you could, you know, load it up more. But the one piece I didn't think about is that when you buy a barbell, you also buy bump uh, plates and you could do a lot of stuff with those plates too. I hadn't thought about that factor that if you buy a 45 pound plate, you could also do ground over head work, press work with that versus a set of dumbbells. But I don't know. We had a good yeah. conversation about it. I mean, you have to take into consideration space. And also expense. I mean, he's probably the fucking preeminent resource on what to put in your garage, Jim. So he's probably got a strong opinion and uh, a valid opinion for sure. But like, if I were looking at this equation and the average person asked me like, okay, I have a little bit of space in my garage. 
where I probably can't do every exercise with a barbell and, you know, I want to get generally fit. I, I, I think getting two to three pairs of dumbbells, having a light pair, a moderate pair and a heavy pair and having a pull-up bar, man, you could get seriously pretty fucking fit if you just had that, that equipment. Now, can you get as strong as somebody who's got full access to, you know, a, a barbell and a bench and a platform and all this kind of stuff and a squat rack? No, definitely not. But if you're just talking about being a capable human being, you could you can be very capable with just those three weights. Yeah, I mean, from from February, yeah, February 2020, all the way through to you know the Rogue Invitational when I got the barbell, which was oh, yeah. October of last year, all I had access to was a pair of 55s, pair of 30s, a pair of rings, a jump rope, and a couple kettlebells. That's it. And, mm. you know, we got it done. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Him and I, we connected on a bunch of different things. In particular, we talked about like, you know, mistakes that people make in the gym and garage gyms and things like that. One of them being obviously not like warming up effectively or putting themselves in the right mindset to have a good workout, um, which I think is like an easy factor, right? You go in there, you find some way to kind of get yourself uh, prepared and ready for what is to come. So we talked about a bunch of like pitfalls, that type of video is going to be coming out. We did a bunch of workouts that we found, like I, I put out like my favorite five garage gym workouts which i thought was cool so that type of thing those are the type of content we were creating together i'll tell you what warming up when you work out by yourself at least for me is probably one of the hardest things to do because i walk into the garage sometimes on a limited clock and i'm like i want to just get my i just want to get my workout done i want to start moving i don't want to mess around i don't want to like take an extra 10 or 15 minutes if i only have an hour and like you sometimes move into just you know hey my first set is going to be my warm-up set Ultimately, I do not think that that's the best path for a lot of people. I think you can get away with a lot when you're younger and you're more supple, but like, you know, especially as I'm getting a little bit older, man, like I definitely do need at least like five minutes on the bike before I start moving uh, just to get the blood flowing. But it's hard, man. I just want to get, get in and get out a lot of times. 100, 100 pound sandbag, bear carry down the little hill, my parents' driveway and back. I do it every single 90% of training sessions I have. If it's like raining or for you some carry reason, a I can't pound bag? yeah, 100 pound bag, bear carry. It's like a 300 meter, if I had to guess, total down and back. Um, I usually have to drop it once and it takes me, I've timed it, it takes me probably four and a half minutes to five minutes, including the one drop um, on my way back. Unlike on, on some days where I'm feeling really good, I can do it all unbroken, but usually I drop once. I think it's just because I, I have the same issue as MDV in that like if I go in there, I'm like, all right, like what do I want to warm up that's like specific to what I'm doing today? Like I end up wasting time or feeling like I'm wasting time or I'm like doing arm circles, like not really doing anything. What I love about this is I know what I'm doing. I grab the sandbag. And also I, I really like something about my warm up sucking. Like the fact that because it's not easy. It, it It sucks, especially towards the end. And I like the fact that like, even before getting to my workout. So like, no matter what happens, no matter if, you know, workout gets cut short or I don't feel good. I just feel like I did something that like was kind of shitty, but I got it done anyway. Um, and coming back from history of a really back, bad back injury, it's just been something that's been really good for like keeping my core really strong in like a way, like what 
carrying a sandbag is supposed to do, like just really, really protecting my spine. So for all those reasons, I love that as my warm up, and I do it almost religiously to start my training every single time. I wouldn't have thought of that. Like I, that, that does not sound appealing at all to me. Um, but I'm glad you do it because I wouldn't think to like go grab a hundred pound sandbag and go walk down the neighborhood and come back as like the, the initial like catalyst to the training. But the fact that you're doing it, like good for you. I'm more of like the, you know, get on the bike or uh, in the class setting, it's even easier because the, the instructor is just telling me what to do, but I'm like a, get on a bike, get your body prime kind of die. But I might try that. I might steal what you do. Uh, Gabe, and well, if I, I mean, put it on social media, it's my, it, I, I'm going to take credit for it. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the hundred pounder, you know, it, like it starts off, it doesn't start off aggressive, right? Like it starts off and you're like, all right, this is uncomfortable, but it doesn't suck, but it definitely gets sucky towards the end. And I'm like, I'm ready to work out when I'm done with that. I'm like drenched in sweat, especially now we're like fully into Texas summer. It is so hot and humid out, which I actually like. I, I think it like very much speeds up the I'm ready to work out process. Like oh. I am. I feel supple and ready to go the moment I step outside my house. We still haven't seen the sun here since like last <laughs> no. July. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> we gotta come, yeah, we got to come back to California so we can film this coaching content. You know, I, I, uh, I, I had a Ryan who's the um, founder, co-founder of The Plunge on, and he showed me a technique on The Plunge I hadn't really thought about. And it, it's almost in tune with what Gabe was saying, where when he does a plunge of any type, he immediately from the get-go like literally he gets in and he plunges his whole head under then he sits in for the next three to four minutes and he says it's it, it actually is like a hack and it makes it easier for him than the other way around where you're sitting there and at the end you do it because his body like reacts quicker to get warm or to some he says it's helped him so it's something i'm going to try to decide it's your you it's your mam mammalian dive reflex oh my so gosh. where'd you come so, up with that no, it's a thing. You can look it up. It's it's all mammals have it. And it's when especially cold water goes, um, touches your vagus nerve. It's been in our evolution for, for years. And I, I read all this. I'm trying to regurgitate it in a way that sounds like I know what I'm talking about. And what it does is it like slows down your um, metabolism and heart rate and kind of calms you down because it's supposed to be when mammals dive underwater, you're supposed to everything slow down so you can hold your breath for longer. So by putting your head in when you get in, it naturally kind of stimulates that reflex and will make it easier for me to go from that initial shock of like, <laughs> to like calming down um, because you, you wet your vagus nerve with, with cold water. You can look huh. it up, mammalian dive reflex, yeah. Uh, I will do that. And I'm actually gonna try that. That sounds good. You know, they, they also, um, just aired two days ago. I don't know if you guys saw it, but Cold Plunge was on Shark Tank. And don't, don't tell me because I want to watch it. Uh, or fine, you can talk about it. No, no, no. Give uh, us the spoiler. <laughs> no, so I'm not going to spoil like what happened because that's messed up. But what I will tell you is that Ryan said that like, so, you know, Ash and I, we've been able to, because uh, we've had friends in show business or whatnot, where you go to like these, you go to a show that maybe you've been hey, watching. Thanks. Like filmings, yeah. Um, like I, for example, we went to one of the filmings of Ellen and it was, it totally transformed the way Ashley looked at Ellen and, and myself too. Like she put off something and in reality it was a completely different experience. Now we also went to the taping of like Gordon Ramsay's show and it was a complete opposite. It was the most amazing experience. He was super genuine, amazing guy. According to Ryan, Shark Tank is exactly that. 
Shark Tank is exactly what you see. The producers don't try and pitch them anything. The producers don't try and fabricate anything. These guys are standing behind doors, doors open, and they pitch. Um, the only things that I didn't know going into it, and he talks about this more, I just did a podcast with him, is that they review their financials and everything before they go there, and um, they make sure it's legit. And then what I also didn't know is that even if some of the sharks do a deal, only a small percentage of those deals actually end up happening. Um, I was under the impression that if it actually made it to TV, that that deal actually like came to fruition, but I don't think all of them do. So. Deal, deal isn't a deal until it's a deal. Dude. Damn well, right. I mean, think about these sharks are committing, you know, hundreds of thousands, <laughs> if not millions of dollars, and they don't have all the full scope. So I imagine after that, they start this due diligence phase. And then in some cases, maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't, you know? I bet coffee with Khalifa episode. Yeah, I bet being on that show is probably awesome marketing if your product gets picked up or gets a deal, or there's people who are on the panel who get excited about it. Um, yeah, I mean that there's probably some really amazing success stories. There's probably some really amazing stories of uh businesses going the other way, you know, if the sharks all kind of laugh them off or whatever, too. Not amazing, but maybe uh tough stories. Yeah. I mean, he said that he's seen some dramatic growth because um, it just hit their website. So um, I'm excited for them. I think they make a cool product. We got to we got to get it out to. Um, well, Gabe already has his, but we got to get one for MDV. And so, yeah, it's good. What is the price tag on a unit for cold plunge? Uh, like five. Yeah, five. Oh, you can say no, it. like five, okay. like five to seven K. I mean, they're 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 pretty pricey. But yeah, pricey. if you think about it over time, if you were buying ice or whatever, or if you made if you built your own, I mean, over time, like it's just the quality of it is just next level. So I, I recommend it. I think it's great. I think it's a great product. Yeah, I for sure. I mean, them. I don't have any ownership in their company. I just I just think they make great product. Dude, yeah. One I, of the, so I was just watching. I sent this over to Gabe. There, uh, this guy who is the TV installer. He's like this this personality on Instagram, and he's this uh, he's this black guy, and he's like he's over the top. He's boisterous. He's like he walks into everybody's living room. He like kicks over like the kids' toys, and he's like, "Let me show you how to hang this TV on the wall." But anyway, he's fucking hilarious. <clears throat> he's awesome. But he he did a video where it was like, listen. I don't have the best prices. I am more expensive than everybody. And I loved it. I loved it. There's nothing wrong with charging, you know, a premium for your service if you're going to deliver or your product if you're going to deliver, man. The market will will adjust. Market will fucking will come at you with what you're what you actually are worth. Wait, does this guy actually install TVs? Yeah, he's amazing. <laughs> he's so dude, talk about somebody who gets it from a marketing perspective. Like he's just so himself. And like the way that he is pitching about, um, you know, him, it like, he's like, oh, all these wires are everywhere. Get this bullshit out of here. Like, it's so funny. He kills it on Instagram. <laughs> it's amazing. What, what's his, what is his name? Like, oh, I gotta, I gotta look it up. Cause I just sent it to Gabe the other day. It's pretty fun. It's pretty good. It's yeah. pretty good. I know. I, I think that, that, you know, the fact that, um, the cold plunge has, the filtration and it's cleaning the water out for you. I mean, that is super nice. I'm super fortunate because, because of where ours is that it's like covered, but it's outside. It's just so easy for me to drain mine when I need mm. to clean it. But I can imagine if people want to set this up in like a garage or somewhere where you can't easily, you know, just like pop the drain and just let the water drain out without it being a pain in the butt. 
um, it would be really nice to have something that's actually filtering the water because I have to change my water out completely probably once a month. Um, and that's like, I push it like once a month, but the last week of the month, it's pretty grimy in there. Yeah. Like, I don't care because I'll, I'll, I'll shower right after I go in there. So it's like not the biggest deal. And it's, you know, it's just me and bloom using it. It's not like, you know, we share it with other people, but in an ideal world for it to be like clean, clean, I would probably be, have to change it because of how much we use it. Like every, every two weeks. Yeah, for sure. And that's a lot. Yeah. What is it? What is it? Gabe MDV? His IG handle is his name, Maurice. His, his name, name Maurice. Maurice. His name right. Maurice. It's that, that it alone is, is that alone is fantastic. Seriously great marketing. I mean, is there anything better when you encounter somebody who's just really fucking passionate about what they do and actually really good at what they do? Like, I don't care. I if I'm at if I'm at the car wash or if I'm at like a coffee shop or wherever, it's the most enjoyable thing in life for me to see somebody who's just like super stoked on what they do. And super good at it. And if they can, if they can make you laugh, if they can talk a good game, if they are a people person, if they have like some sort of angle or some sort of like little gimmick that's going on that supports it, there's there's nothing better, dude. This guy he cracks me up every single time. His videos are gold. I yeah. hope he's super successful. When you meet people like that, it's pretty impressive, right? You're at a coffee shop or something. You find someone with a super just over the top talent. That's it's 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 always inspiring. I got to go check out. His name is Maurice. His name, Maurice. No is. All right. All right. I'm going to go check it out. Oh, man. Um, um, all right. What do you guys got planned for the weekend? What are you guys doing? Watching the Mets game? Oh, well, we got some. There's some big UFC fights that are uh, this weekend. Uh, and Charles Oliveira just missed weight by half a pound. And they stripped him of his title. So he's fighting Justin Gaethje. And Justin Gaethje, they're still going to fight. If Gaethje wins, he wins the title. But if Oliveira, if Oliveira wins, the title's vacant. Very, so very I was, interesting. I was going to ask, how does that happen? Like, how do you, how do you get a, how do you, knowing that that's on the line, like, I guess he, you're depleted to the point where there obviously wasn't anything else to lose. But like, how do you let that happen? Like, you're obviously weighing yourself before you go officially weigh yourself. What do you well, think was going to happen? Dude, some of these guys are on death's door when they're making weight. Oh. And I, I don't know whether or not Oliveira was at that point. I, I didn't watch the full it weigh-in. It, it didn't look like it because I it just came up on my feet. I literally just watched it. He could be super dehydrated to the point where he's got literally nothing in him. He's a skinny guy already. Like he's not he's not super – he doesn't have a ton of weight to lose. But what chop they were saying – yeah. Well, they brought in the whole like black box that they had him stand behind and he stripped down naked and he was still half a pound over. But what you wouldn't get to the scale if you weren't weighing in uh, below at your on the scale in your room or whatever on the scale backstage. So like maybe his scale was off. Who knows? They were saying like, hey, he, he came to the scale and probably thought he was going to make weight and then and then didn't. Um, and he had no more time left. So. It's kind of shitty wow. way to lose your title. Uh, that sucks, man. That's a shitty way to lose your title, right? Yeah, yeah. The consequences, though, like this is a really interesting topic. At some point, maybe we should like get into it a little bit more. But the consequences in the UFC when you don't make weight, these are pretty high consequences. Like he's, he lost his title. So that's, that's pretty damn high. But in like a normal fight, if you don't make weight and then the other guy still chooses to fight, you only lose like – I think it's like 10% of your purse 
or whatever. Oh. So it's like, it's not a massive amount. So the incentives also like when they talk about it, they're like, well, this guy's only losing a little bit of what he would earn. But then if you're the opponent, if you don't say yes to fight the guy, you look like being a little baby. Oh, I'm not going to go out there and fight. But fuck that. Like you put your body through hell to make weight while this other guy now didn't make weight. And now he's got this maybe uh, advantage because physically or mentally or whatever. Anyway, there's this whole controversy about how much weight, um, how much money you should lose if you don't make weight. You know, we should do um, uh, is we should talk to um, Mason. So Mason is right now. So Mason um, Fowler, he's a BJJ um, athlete. He's legit, legit. I train with him all the time. He is currently at this very moment in Brazil competing. And he um, he knows all about the weights, ups and downs, because he competes at different weights depending on what's going on. But I mean, they're, they're pretty big shifts. I mean, you're talking like 20, 30 pound shifts up or down. And so I think we should definitely, I think it'd be great to talk to him about like, what are the current strategies and then how does that work? Cause like in, in jujitsu, at least from my experience, when I've competed, you weigh in right before you compete. So it's, it's super difficult. It was very hard for me to overcome because if you're not prepared for that, like you could go in there not feeling phenomenal. And then literally within a minute, you have to go compete. I think for him, it's a little bit different. Well, isn't the argument though, that when it's that close to competition, it's safer. Like uh, the art, yeah. like, isn't, the arguments that when you have a full 24 hours is people push it way too far because oh, yeah. they almost like know that they can come back. If you know you're going to be competing an hour after weigh-in, like you have to play it safe because what's the point if you go out there as a corpse? Yep. There's really interesting kind of angles to this entire discussion because there's all these weird incentives. Obviously, like you want to fight at the lowest weight possible, like the lowest weight that you can get to without quote unquote being unhealthy it makes the most sense for you to fight at that weight because you can rehydrate you can balloon back up and then you come into the ring some of these guys are coming into the octagon like 20 pounds up right it's yeah, crazy 20 pounds <laughs> but like it's That's a really so insane it's a hard problem to solve though because like no matter what rules you try to go to like if they have a hydration rule or they have like some sort of you know pre-fight check-in where you can't like gain a certain amount of weight like people are still going to figure out how to game the system. Like this mm -hmm. has always been part of fight sports ever since there's been like weight classes and stuff like this. But one of the most compelling arguments is just have more weight classes, like have a weight class every 10 pounds so that you don't have, you have more incentive to fight closer to your walking weight. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the, the jujitsu right before though, I, I don't know. I, I'd be curious to talk to like Mason and talk to actually like, like a, um, Tim Kennedy does talk about this in his book, but like he said at one point, Chuck Liddell had him like in his sauna and he was wearing like those like sauna pants, you know, and like literally he would open up the bottom and like, it would be like, it would just like rain water out of the bottom of his pants. And I, I'd be curious to say what, what pro athletes would think about this. Cause as an amateur jujitsu athlete, it definitely rewards me to go in there feeling like, okay, I got to be way under because I don't want to go in that day feeling like I have to not drink, not eat, not whatever. Cause I'm about to go fight right after it, you know? So I don't know what would be the best for the future. I don't know why they don't do it weighing in right before. Maybe it's because if they miss weight at that point, it could ruin the fight, right? Like imagine if you, if you were a pound over right before the fight, how do you ever plan these fights out? Like, I don't know. I, I don't know how it will work. Yeah. I, it's, uh, 
Rogan talks about it quite a bit on his show when he has like, uh, you know, different people on for whether or not it's, uh, you know, the BJJ, uh, excuse me, the MMA shows or uh, if, he, if the topic just comes up. But it's really interesting. It certainly is a, a, a system in which you have to figure out, like, how can you best get the healthiest athletes into the octagon? And then also you have to understand that there's going to be people who are going to try to cheat whatever system that you have. So anyway. Let's talk to Mason about it. I'm curious what yeah. he thinks. Let's see how he does in a, he's, he's rolling in, he's going in gi uh, in Brazil right now. So we'll see how he does. Did you see that Gordon Ryan was posting like um, some pictures of rolling in a gi from like, um, like he, he trained with this guy for like six days or whatever. Oh yeah. He's, he's like a, a brown belt, <laughs> yeah. you know, a, a blue belt, purple belt. Yeah, and, and then like the last picture is him as a black belt. It was super yeah, funny. Yeah. yeah, he's trolling people so hard. And oh like, God, he, he's the best he at it, man. Oh yeah, he's great. Um, if you if you're gonna go check out the gentleman for the TV, go check out Gordon Ryden if you're interested in jiu-jitsu because he he um he definitely he plays it right for sure. Yeah. He talks a lot of crap, but he backs it up because he's winning. He does a great job. All right. Uh, well, guys, I have uh, Ava's first volleyball pro. Uh, Ava's first volleyball um, game is today. I'm fired up to go see how it goes. I'll have to let you guys know how it is. And um, yeah, that's what I got planned right now. How about you guys? You guys are about to take off? Got to head OP? out. Yep. Got to run. Well, dude, do the UFC fights. I hope you enjoy them. Gabe, I hope everything's going good at the ranch. And for everybody listening, you know, if you're an athlete out there, if you're looking to train your garage and you haven't checked out the NC Fit app, I think we're really putting out some great workouts right now between NCX, NC Flex, which um, is exclusively, you know, a great program at MDV, um, lot, you know, that's how he gets those beautiful guns. And then, uh, that's right. And then, um, if you're a gym owner and you haven't checked out the NC fit collective, we, uh, we're looking to collaborate soon with push press. So if you're on that program, make sure to look out for that soon. And the NC fit collective puts out the world's best session plans and programming. And we're just starting our Wendler cycle. So go check it out. Thanks again for listening. Everybody has a great day. Gabe MDV, keep crushing it. And, uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. All right.